We can uh, turn to John chapter 10. Just get yourself ready. Alan, are you sore this week? Alan and I, Alan and I went to a mixed martial arts or jujitsu class together this week. It was like a free trial. And so we went. And so like three of the guys there were st- like students of mine from years ago. And so the one kid, he's uh, literally a Green Beret now who just got out of the army two weeks ago. He's like 24, I think. And so he, he was paired up with me, or I was paired up with him. First thing he says to me is, this is for the D you gave me. <laughs> I didn't tell you that? Yeah, he was like, this is for the D you gave me. I'm just getting like thrown around. It was, it was fun though. Was, <laughs> now they were actually quite nice and gentle with us, us old men. Yeah. Yeah. The second time there was a 67-year-old guy. I was there. It was pretty wild. So he was really encourage, encouraging us. But yeah, it was fun. It was cool. So my shoulder's a little stiff, but if I do this, you know why. So it's dislocated. It's dislocated. <laughs> uh, reminder, reminder of the what what happens when we're teachers and we give people D's, right? So <clears throat> what's up? Let's go to our first slide, Sharon, if we may, uh, and we're going to open up to John chapter ten. Uh, today is uh, quite interesting because I, I wasn't even thinking about it, but it fits so well. It's a nice breaker uh, to our cultural uh, series. Uh, we've been teaching on the aspects of diff- different aspects of culture, <clears throat> how it influences us, and then how we can influence the world by adopting a heavenly culture. But this week, uh, this Tuesday, I believe, is the first night of Hanukkah. Uh, and so what's really cool here is actually the story of Hanukkah teaches us quite a bit about this cultural kind of paradigm we've been studying. So, light. The answer against cultural assimilation. So, John chapter 10, verse 22 says, Now it was the Feast of Dedication, uh, or Festival of Lights. Or in Hebrew, it would be say, now it was the time of Hanukkah, right? So, John chapter 10, New Testament they're using it as a timepiece. It is now the festival of Hanukkah in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's during this, and we always have this kind of uh, joke that uh, in, in the New Testament, Hanukkah is mentioned, but generally speaking, Christians will not celebrate it. Uh, in the Older Testament, Hanukkah is not mentioned, but yet Jewish people do celebrate it. And so like, this kind of interesting kind of paradigm that's here. But we see this in the context is when the Lord is going to be talking about how his, the sheep hear his voice. But what is the context and what is the story of, of Hanukkah? It's going to take place, and I, I've taught on this before, so I'm not going real deep into the weeds of understanding of the actual aspects of the holiday. Because I've, I've done that before, and I, I wanted to give something a little new this year. But for those of us who have not been here in past years, a little bit of a historical context of what's going on with the story of Hanukkah. So <clears throat> Hanukkah in Hebrew is dedication. It's a, it's a celebration and a holiday of dedicating things 
unto the Lord. Okay? Um, it, the story takes place about 150 BC, so it'll be 150 years before the coming of Messiah. Many of us know the story. It's a celebration of life. And essentially what happens here is a miracle takes place. Uh, the oil which was needed for the lamp uh, stand in the temple to last um, or, or to consecrate the temple, uh, the Jewish people didn't have enough oil. And through a miracle, the Lord allowed the oil to last for, for eight days. But that's one aspect of the miracle. The other aspect of the real miracle that took place is that a ragtag, small, little, podunk province of the Greek Empire was able to fight off, at that time, the greatest army on planet Earth. Okay? Um, it's so profound and actually historically proven that it did happen that at West Point, there's actually a statue in honor of Judah Maccabee, uh, Judah the Maccabee, who led the revolt against the Greeks because he used a lot of kind of like early guerrilla warfare kind of stuff. So all that is taking place, and that's like a huge miracle, a huge miracle that they were able to defeat the Greek Empire and maintain their country, maintain their culture, not to assimilate into the world of the Greeks. The Greeks are going to come and they're going to try to defile the temple of Yahweh, the temple of God, and they, they succeed. They go in and they actually sacrifice a pig on the altar of, for God. Um, the Jewish people are not allowed uh, to worship the one true God. They're not allowed to read the Torah or the Bible. They're not allowed to circumcise their sons anymore. They're not allowed to do the laws of God. They're not allowed to worship him. They must bow down and worship the Greek gods, the pantheon of Greek gods. And most of them are like, yeah, we're going to do that because we don't want to die. But one family is like, no, we're not going to do that. There's only one God and we're going to serve him. So there's a couple miracles that are going on. One, a miracle of life. Two, a miracle of redemption of being able to take back your country. Another miracle of purifying the temple. And a last one, which is a miracle of not assimilating into the majority culture. Woo! That's good stuff. So we go to the next slide. Let's try to see what I'm talking about here. So what is assimilation? This is what the story of Hanukkah is talking about. Like not assimilating into the Greek ways. Now you see why it fits so well into our culture series, you know? So assimilation, when a minority sacrifices its own culture to integrate into society. This is what assimilation means. Uh, this was done in our country uh, most profoundly, uh, in some ways, very, in a very sad way, uh, with the indigenous peoples that were living in North America, or Indians. So you see Native Americans on the left, and then you see Native Americans on the right. What happens is when we went and conquered lands, uh, yes, missionaries went out and they tried to Christianize uh, Native Americans, which is a good thing. But what happened is when they Christianized them, they also tried to make them white Europeans. There's a big difference. Like, you can wear buckskin and have a feather and a hat and beads and call upon the name of Jesus. Absolutely. But they didn't do that. They thought Christianity came with this white European flair to it, right? And so what happened over time is essentially... Native Americans completely lost uh, their culture, and there's been a, a, a jump back to that since the 60s and 70s, but unfortunately it's also coming with pagan gods. Uh, but what we see here is slowly over time, what can happen here is you absorb yourself completely into the other culture. Um, this is a problem that if you talk to serious, serious missionaries, 
They talk about this. They say one of the biggest things that they have going into the third world or even the developing world, essentially like non-Western European societies, is that when they go into a society, they bring Jesus. But a lot of missionaries also try to bring American culture with it, and there's a difference. And it's one of the biggest hang-ups that some of these cultures have where they're saying, well, this Jesus guy seems pretty cool, but I am still a, whatever you want to be, fill in the X, right? I'm still a person from India with an Indian culture and Indian background. All right, I'll put away the foreign gods, but you know, I can still eat the food that I eat. I can still wear the things that I wear. Uh, this is actually one of the biggest hang-ups, to be honest, uh, sharing the gospel with Jewish people. It's very subtle. We don't quite understand it. But when you share the gospel with the Jewish people, one of the biggest hang-ups they have is like, well, if I believe in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, that means I'm a Christian now, and that means that I don't maintain my Jewish identity. Whew, that's like completely actually the opposite of the New Testament. In the New Testament, it was the opposite problem, funny enough. Can Gentiles, non-Jews, believe in Yeshua, Jesus, without becoming Jewish? That's the, that's the big issue of the book of Acts, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and Romans, and Philippians, and Corinthians. And now things have kind of flipped over because there's, this, there's this, this element that when we accept faith in Jesus that you have to give up some of your cultural paradigms. Some of what you do, those that are rooted in sin. But your identity, your cultural identity, like it's still there, man, right? There's, there's a black culture in America, largely. There's a white culture in America. There's a Puerto Rican culture. There's only different cultures. And when they come together underneath the banner of Jesus, it's a beautiful, beautiful tapestry of who he is. So we don't have to be all European. We don't all have to be African. We don't have to be Mediterranean or Puerto Rican or whatever the case would be. We all have to be sealed, signed, delivered in the name of Jesus. And it's a powerful thing. But there's a couple different things that are happening here. If we go to the, uh, the next slide. A lot of times when these cultures come together in different societies, in a Christian culture as well, the majority culture imprints some things on the minority culture, and then the minority culture imprints some things on the majority culture. This is like very, very prevalent in the United States. Right? The majority culture historically have been Western Europeans, but then many different cultures came to the United States. European culture influenced some of their new, new immigrants coming in, hence we speak English, right? Uh, we celebrate a lot of Western holidays, including Christmas. Uh, and then the minority culture also made an imprint on the dominant culture, which was here at the time. Hence, everyone loves eating Italian food, right? Uh, everyone loves the blending of cultures. It's a beautiful, awesome thing. In America, it's so profound. I mean, one of the most significant things outside of government that America has given unto the world was, uh, was music and rock and roll. It's a beautiful understanding of the blending of cultures. Um, essentially, rock and roll was formed taking more or less quote-unquote, white European music, and also taking drum beats and bass beats of African bass music, those two cultures forming together and creating rock and roll. Hence, where rock and roll was born was in the Deep South, where there is, a, at that part time, a larger African culture, African-American culture, and a blending of white culture, and it came together and formed one of the most powerful expressions of music that the world has ever seen. And some of it for bad and some of it for good. But there's a blending of culture that takes place a lot of times. It's a give and take. 
Now, if we use that phenomenon, we go to the next slide here, we'll see maybe something that's not so great. We have the culture of the world, and then we have the culture of the church, or the culture of heaven, or the culture of Jesus, the culture of Christianity, whatever you want to call it. The reality is this. We live in a world where the majority culture imprints upon the church. And, yes, a little bit of the church's culture imprints on the dominant culture. Hence, people in the United States, the vast majority of people in the United States, even though they're not born again believers in Jesus, will be celebrating Christmas or some version of it in these next couple weeks. Right? It's a federal, ho a federal holiday. Right? Federal. Uh, goodness, love, mercy, peace, understanding, uh, caring, empathy, brotherhood, equality, all this stuff that is built out of the bedrock of the blood of Jesus has entered into the majority culture, which is awesome. Amen? Amen. And of course, there's a but. And the but is that the majority culture has also imprinted upon us the church. And that can be a problem. It can be a problem because what tends to happen is the minority culture usually submits to the majority. The culture weakens, diminishes, and then eventually surrenders completely to the majority culture. And there's a lot of things that we may do, which are not necessarily bad, and some things that we do that are bad because we're trying to blend into culture. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, look, Romans chapter 10, I think we all probably know this one, um, or at least have heard it. Uh, Romans chapter 10 uh, talks about how that we are not to conform ourselves to the spirit of the world. Amen? We are not to conform to the spirit of the world. Now, what happens here is the power of assimilation is, is quite strong. And I'm sorry to say such things, but I'm just going to be real. Uh, if you take a look at, for example, in our culture... Recently, with the increase uh, of immigration from certain societies, um, you can see the power of this. Uh, you know, when my ancestors came here, they didn't speak German. They quickly switched to English. They didn't celebrate German holidays and just eat German foods. They assimilated into the American culture. But you know, those immigrants today from the Middle East or from you know, from, from the Caribbean or Puerto Rican, Rico, which is actually, actually citizens of the United States, by the way. You know, when they come, they don't, they don't absorb into the culture. They speak their own language. They fly their own flag. There is such a push against those people sociologically do not, that do not assimilate into the majority culture. And if you are a recent immigrant, you probably have felt it. It is such a powerful thing to try to get everyone to blend together. Very, very powerful. Actually, so powerful, there's a little bit of rabbit trail. So powerful that, do you know that that was one of the number one reasons why the United States established a public education system? 
We started a mandatory public education between uh, ages of 6 and 18, mandatory, uh, because there's a flood of new immigrants. And we were saying, how are we going to teach them how to be Americans? How do we make them be absorbed into American culture? And this is how we're going to do it. And that's one of the reasons why we actually created school, interesting enough. Uh, next slide. What I'm just trying to tell you here is that the assimilation process is so powerful in our culture to try to blend everyone together that we even feel it when we see someone who may be expression linguistically their native culture or dress or religion or even holidays. There's a, a pushback like, well, they're not being American. Well, that's, that's a whole other weird question. Like, what is an American anyway? Well, this isn't a social studies class, right? Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus is a better question. So what we have here is this. How does it happen? Essentially, conforming to the world is to be, one, drawn to it, two, to be enamored by it, and then eventually to imitate it. This is essentially what can happen in the church. When you're going to work, when you're going to school, or even when we're here in the building, are we drawn, enamored, or even want to imitate the way of the majority culture of the world? And you guys can fill in the blanks of how that happens. There's more subtle ways of how this happens, essentially. What happens here is a lot of this is conveyed through entertainment. A lot of this is conveyed, as I said, through education, where the majority culture, which is not a Jesus-believing culture, is trying to impregnate itself upon us. Another way in which this largely happens is through friendship. If you go to the uh, next slide. Three things. Entertainment, education, and friendship are, friendship are some of the biggest ways in which this occurs. And so I've had, a, a, unfortunately, they're not here today, but someone was asking me not too long ago, like, how does it operate when you have non-believing friends? How does it work? Because here's the thing, your friends, man, they, they impact you. Their culture impacts you. You impact their culture, but let's just be real. The American culture is so strong that usually, if you don't have some buddies aside of you, you get weakened. Your cultural expression of Jesus diminishes, and sometimes it even surrenders and you leave the church. Because it's so powerful because it's the cultural norm. Think about all the cultural norms that are thought of to be normal in America that we have to fight against. It's unbelievable. And so, you know, the Lord just downloaded this to me years ago that if you are struggling with this concept of friendship and who should be your friends, friends uh, because we don't want to alienate the world, we do want to in, in, interact with them. I, I call it the bullseye principle. Dead center in the bullseye, uh, in fact, should be Jesus. Your closest relationship needs to be Jesus. And all be all. The circle around that, of course, should be your spouse, if you have one, and your family, right, who are saved. Around that should be your church family and other believers. They should, yes, be your closest friends. So close that they're a brother and they're a sister. And then their outer ring. The real outer ring should be those friends that are not committed to Jesus. Can you be friends with people that aren't committed to Jesus? Absolutely. They just can't be your closest friends. Well, come on, but I'm really sharing the gospel. I am telling you through experience that if your closest friends are not calling on the name of Jesus, it is a matter of time until one of two things happen. They drift to you and your belief or you drift to their belief. This happens all the time with relationships. I mean... All this stuff about like evangelating and dating people that aren't saved. I'm going to win them over, but they love us. And they love, we love each other and it's just going to work out. No, it's not. It's not. 
unless the Lord like downloads prophetically that you are to date this person who is not saved and like it's confirmed by a whole bunch of people, like you just don't do it because it's a matter of time until you get whoo, sucked right into the majority culture. It happens all of the time. Hence, do not conform to the ways of the world. Do not be unequally yoked, right? All that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, your closest friends must be born again and preferably spirit-filled. That doesn't mean you don't have friends of other dynamics. Of course you do. They just can't be your closest. They can't be your closest. So if you don't have born-again friends, we got a lot of people here who don't want to be friends. Amen? Yeah! I, won't, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone that's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, slide number seven. This one uh, maybe hits us a little bit more because you guys got some, like, you know, a lot of us, most of us are pretty mature believers in here. Conforming to the world inside of the church, right? So we're talking about the, 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 the church expression on, on the world, the world's expression of culture on us. How can we conform to the world literally inside of our church service? There's a couple ways that we need to be weary of and careful of. Uh, one is uh, using the old business plan model uh, in church, right? Doing things like the businesses do with our business strategy uh, and, you know, uh, trying to make this place like a business, right? Uh, second way is, uh, of course, seeker-friendly messages uh, that are just avoiding certain topics, right? It's cool to give topics and messages that are uplifting and, 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 and focused on love and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. When people bend the gospel and avoid certain topics to offend. Uh, third one, which, you know, is, is always extremely powerful. I almost put a picture up of an example of this, but then I was like, you know, I don't want to offend people too much. My wife is always like, sometimes you gotta like pull it back a little bit there, Dave. I'm like, I know. So I avoided a very typical picture that would represent a typical entertainment driven church. You probably all know what it looks like. Entertainment driven worship. That the worship experience is one of just entertainment and not exaltation of Jesus and making that the focus, right? The buzz, the, the bells, the whistles, all that kind of stuff. If that's the focus, they're an example that you're conforming to the world. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you go to any major concert, right? That's the way things are going to be. And, you know, maybe there is a place for that. But if you're relying on those things to make it tantalizing for people and visitors that are coming in, you could very well be doing it in a bad spirit. I, people or churches or pastors that not, do not preach repentance from sin, right? That's a big one. I mean, you know, Whatever I feel to be true is okay. Just teach me about the love of Jesus. But, you know, it says that to get saved, you need to call upon the name of Jesus and say that Jesus is Lord, right? Lord of your life. There's a, a turning away from sin uh, that takes place. So these are kind of the ways that we can check ourselves and see if we as a church body, you as an individual, or you as a family, are beginning to be swept away by the enamor. of the world. Now, the Jews had it a little bit more in their face. You cannot read the Bible. 
You cannot worship God. It was very, the, 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 it was very black or white. It was, there was no like, the gray is the scary part. The gray is the enticing part. The gray zone is the one that we can fall into very quickly. Some more subtle ways. Um, I think that so this can happen in a church body or in a person, because it's, it's, I don't know, it's happened in my life sometimes. Uh, when you begin to lower your guard, when you start to let certain things in that shouldn't be in there, a general apathy, uh, maybe you're not watchful about what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world. Um, some of the times, a lot of the times, is the quickest win to lose a battle is not to be on the offense. A lot of our, a lot of our times in our life, we're just playing defense. Defense, defense. I'm good where I am with the Lord. You know, people say things, I'm just going to kind of be on the defensive. Uh, but the scripture tells us to be on the offense, right? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God goes forward with force, right? We need to be on the offense in our lives. We need to be on the offense in this church. You need to be on the offense going after the law, saying, no, I'm not going to just be on the defense. The defense, you get pushed back. The offense, you're taking more ground. And so a lot of times I find that we as believers, we play the game of defense opposed to offense. Offense is going out of your comfort zone, sharing the gospel, praying for people, being purposeful in what's going on here. Look, more or less what's going on here, make no mistakes about it, folks, you are at war. That's right. That's right. Don't forget it. We're living in a peaceful country, but spiritually you are at war. You're at war. You are at war with the culture of the spirit of the world. Now, the war has already been won. But it's still happening right now. And when you understand that even in the land of plenty, in the land of religious pluralism, the land of religious freedom, in the land of all this kind of stuff, and in this very safe place that we live in, it's very easy to forget that principle. You and I are at war. Not against flesh or blood, but against principalities. And those principalities come in very alluring ways through culture to get us off the offense. You need to be reminded of it. It's the only way you need to know, hey, we are at war. The war is won. Praise Jesus. But I'm at war, so i got to put on the, the armor of God. And you have to walk that. you got to seriously do it on the offensive. Because that culture out there is very, very, very alluring. Very alluring. Uh, let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And if we can go to the next slide as well. So I told you that this culture assimilation, which I just described to you, how, how, how do we keep ourselves from doing it? You can be on the offense, you can do all this kind of stuff. But essentially I'm telling you in the story of Hanukkah, what it teaches us is that to not assimilate is to walk in the light. Is a miracle of going up against assimilation is also the miracle of God bringing light to the people. With the light of the Hanukkah, the Jewish people were able to dedicate the temple and keep their religion going and keep their faith going. Light is the vehicle for this to happen. Ephesians chapter 5, we see in verse 8, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no 
fellowship. Whoa. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them in the light. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. All right, here we go. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light of the world. You are children of light, so we walk in light. And I'm telling you that the light exposes the darkness, and the light is the miracle to shine up against cultural assimilation. When the world sees that you are full of light and that, in fact, your way of life is better than their way of life, you're not going to be enticed to go to them. They're going to be enticed to come to you because it's simply better. It's simply better. If you live a very defeated Christian walk, moping around, oh, God, this, God, that, why me? Man, why, why would I want? I'm not going to follow this faith. Right? But if you're walking out in the light of the gospel, in the light of the Lord, it is, whoa, it's exciting. People are like, why would I want to live in the American culture of the dominant culture? I, 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 want, to, I want to join this. Hallelujah. Next slide, please. Many of us assume in our mind when we're talking about light that the Spirit of God, who is light, and the light, who is the Spirit of God, a lot of times this is what I'm thinking about light. I think of a light bulb. And if the worship team could come on down. A light bulb. No. In, in the old, in, in, in ancient world, there's no light bulb. When we're talking about light, we're talking about something different. In my mind, I think of light, I think of, you know, incandescent light bulb. No. When we're talking about light here in the gospel, and you are children of light, you're not children of the light bulb. See, a light bulb does give off light, but light bulbs are too clean. They don't give off any aroma. Next slide, please. Really, light in the ancient world is really more of a match. You light that match and you smell, right? You smell the wood being burned. You smell the aroma. Look, what's going on here, folks, is for us to be children of life, light, we, we aren't living this clean, antiseptic life. We're living a very live, alive life. Being in the light of the gospel, there is a smell and aroma. There's some kind of rawness to it. And I'm telling you, the only way to go up against culture is to be on the offense. I'm telling you that the only way that this is going to occur, if people see your life and say, man, these people are different, when you're on the offense and you're not saying, oh, I simply do not want to sin. I simply just going to protect myself against that. Eventually, you're going to be weakened and you're going to fall. But when you're on the offense and you're speaking positive and you're taking more land and you're sharing the gospel and you're believing and receiving the goodness of the light of the Lord, there's going to be an aroma to your life and people will be attracted to it. John Wesley in the 18th century, next slide please, said this, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. My Lord, my Lord. You want to see this church? You want to see the town saved? You want to see your family be revolutionized? I'm telling you, light yourself on fire with passion. You're not going to have to preach the gospel. You're not going to have to convince them. They're going to smell the aroma. They're going to be like, man, I got to watch you burn with holy fire passion. That's not a business plan. That's not a Facebook page. That's not a fixed roof. 
That's not a advertising campaign to get the bulletins out to share the gospel. People that are on fire in the Holy Ghost, people will stand in astonishment that you go through fire and you go through losing your job and you don't have money to pay your bills, but you stand in the passion of loving the Lord and being on the offense and sharing the gospel and praying and just giving up yourself. People are going to be like, what on earth do you have? I am drawn to it. I must watch you burn. Woo! Jesus. Next slide, please. Fire. 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 Fire of the Holy Ghost. Fire of the Holy Ghost. Woo! Fire is light. Fire is the Holy Spirit. But a fire, unlike a light bulb, gives off an aroma of the goodness of God. But the fire needs dead things in order to burn. Green wood is a live wood. Green wood is a tree that you just cut down. It's full of sap. It's full of water. You throw it on a fire, it's just going to smother the fire out. It's got too much of the world in it. We can just turn down the piano a little bit, please. But dead wood, dead wood burns. Deadwood burns bright. Dave, how do I get passion? How do I get fire? I pray to the Lord. I do this, I do this, and it's not happening. I'm telling you this. If you want to see your fire and your passion grow, throw the dead things, the things of the flesh, on the fire. Throw it on the fire, and it's going to burn. The things of the flesh, throw it on the fire. Fire, Romans 6. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Back in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Colossians 3.1 says you are alive in Messiah. Oh God. Throw the dead things on the fire. Give up things in your life that are not of the Lord. And you say they're dead. Throw it on the fire of the Holy Ghost and watch your passion grow. It's a type of fasting. It's giving up. Give it up, whatever it may be. It just You give something up and throw it on the right to be right. Maybe it's like you could buy this nicer thing, but you're not going to buy the nicer thing. You're going to buy something a little less nicer because you're dealing with some, some greed and you just throw that on the fire and you're just going to see it go... She's going to grow a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you're a little lazy, a little lethargic. You know what? Wake up 10 minutes early. Just 10 minutes. 10 minutes. A little tiny twig of a fire, of firewood, and just put it on the fire. You see that little 10 minutes is just going to go up to the Lord. And he's going to be like, oh, 
I'm so pleased that you gave up a whopping 10 minutes, but it's so beautiful because it's 10 minutes that we had that we didn't have before. And you're going to see that, that, that thing just grow in your life. You're going to see the fire burn a little bit more. We're dead to sin. So throw the dead things on the fire. Next slide, John Wesley also said this, being dead to sin means being freed from both the guilt and from the power of it. See, my whole life, I thought being freed from sin was simply being freed from the power of it. But if you're just freed from the power of it, but yet you still have guilt, you're not going to be able to throw it in the fire. The only way to throw it in the fire to be truly free from the power of, the, of sin is to say, fine, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not guilty before him. I don't have that shame. And then it's not going to have any power over you. And then you can throw it in the flame. I'm telling you this. All of us have various things that we may, in fact, struggle with. And some of it may be really hard. Some of you shared things with me. Amen. I'm not going to mention any names, but it's been a whole gamut of things. It could be temptations of lust. It could be notions of greed. It could be jealousy. It could be laziness. It could be a whole gamut of stuff, right? And we try to wrestle with those things. We try to give them to the Lord and... Year after year, we're still dealing with it. And you're like, what the heck? What the heck? I just can't get rid of this thing. I've been there. And I thought the Lord was saying, the way that it works is this. If you got something that you just simply have not been able to get rid of for like a long time, and you're like, I can't believe this has happened. Don't focus on that. Take something else that's more manageable. Something smaller. And take that thing and give it to the Lord and say, I'm going to sacrifice this. Take the smaller thing. Get up a little earlier. Don't eat that dessert. Don't have that second beer. Don't watch that movie, but instead spend time with the Lord. Do something smaller. Do something smaller. And throw that dead wood onto the fire. And if you take these little things, this is the power of fasting, people. Not a popular message. The power of fasting, the afflicting of the soul, the giving up of things is taking that flesh, I'm putting it on the fire. When you put those little things on the fire, what's going to happen? Those little twigs are going to burn the fire brighter. And as it burns brighter, the passion gets deeper. The Holy Ghost gets even more real. And that all-consuming fire is going to go up against all of the bigger things that you could not handle before. You can't burn down a big thing in your life if you have a little junky little flame. You got to stoke that flame. Stoke that flame by taking other things that don't seem to be as a big deal in your life and lay those down on the fire. And as you lay those down on the fire and those twigs become sticks and those sticks become logs until finally you got this all-consuming fire that nothing that is not of the Lord can withstand it. And then you have a, a fire that's full of so much passion that people are drawn to. Amen? Amen. 
Look, this is why I choose to celebrate the Festival of Lights. This is why I choose to celebrate the story of the redemption and the miracle of Hanukkah. Why? Because remember, it reminds me, reminds my family that God is the God of miracle. It reminds me not to assimilate into the majority culture of the world. It also reminds me to be a light, to cast all the dead things of my life into the fire so the passion grows in my life. In closing, here is a quote. Next slide, please. When you can't make them, the world, your family, see the light, well, make them feel the heat. When you can't make people, them, see the light, well, then just make them feel the heat. You got friends, you got family, you got loved ones, you got spouses, you got siblings. Your family members, whoever it may be, and they, they don't see the light. They, they just do, to refuse to see the power of the gospel. It's okay. When a fire burns, it doesn't just give off light. It gives off heat. And when they see that in you, and they feel that in you, they are going to be drawn to the fire. They're going to be drawn to the fire. In the coldness and the darkness of life, they will be drawn to that warmth. And they're going to say, what's different about you? I need to have what you have. And when that happens, man, there's no cross-pollination between the culture of the world and the culture of heaven. The culture of heaven just impacts the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your heritage. We thank you for this time of year. Time of year when the light of the world has come unto man. Father, I pray that we can be encouraged, that maybe we have just found a way to unlock the principle of getting those larger temptations out of our life. That what we would do is we would just sacrifice other things in our life, other smaller things, other smaller temptations. You know, a temptation to sleep in, a temptation to just not read the word or not pray with you as much. And just that small little act, that small little act of obedience would just be a fire that burns brighter. And all the other things we just have to submit to burn up. Jesus. Mm, Lord. Why don't we stand and just close out with a little worship here? Father, I just pray that your fire would fall. It would fall and reside inside of us, Lord. It would burn up all the other things. Father, I pray that you just show us easy ways. We're understanding ways. It may not be easy, but clear ways in which we could just throw something else that's on the, that needs to go on the fire 
that is much smaller than the bigger things that we've been trying to wrestle with, a type of fasting. It would be an act of sacrifice unto you that would just burn our hearts brighter and warmer, that all other things would just burn up. Yes, Lord. Pray for peeling back the flesh. Yes, God. The American culture is the complete opposite of that. The American culture is please the flesh. 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 More, 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 more. Father, we pray up against that cultural norm. And I pray that you encourage people. Yeah, I pray you encourage people to find interesting ways to fast. Fast things in their life to lay down to you. Peel back the flesh. Peel back the flesh, Lord. Let it submit. Let it surrender to you. Oh, let people, let people just lay things down. Lay things down as an act of obedience to you. Watch that flame burn with greater passion. I don't know why. I, maybe it's the, like the season. I, I don't know. But I feel like the Lord is just really on this. It, like that, that He's just calling us as a body to put things in the flame, to lay things down to Him. It's like oh, right now, it's like overwhelming me right now. Jesus. Small things. It's an element of the Christian walk that we don't really preach on and we don't really do much of any. Jesus, how come the demon was not cast out? Well, it can only be done through prayer and fasting. 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 We in the West don't really do a good job at fasting because it pushes back the flesh. It pushes back the flesh. Pushes back the flesh. And it's so hard in our culture because our culture is all about tantalizing the flesh, pleasing the flesh. So, Father, I pray right now that there would be a Holy Spirit-led conviction to fast, to fast. Watch the fires grow. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a popular one. So what I'm going to just say here is have a wonderful week. But if you want to release in your life to fast, oh, be careful. Jesus. Careful what you ask for. Then come on down. We'll pray for you yes. to be released into a spirit of pushing back the flesh. It may not be food. It might be time. It might be not hitting the snooze button. Maybe not hitting play on the TV. Maybe not picking up the second cup of coffee. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit would lead you. If you want to be released into a time of your life of peeling back the flesh, throwing those twigs and sticks in the fire, <laughs> like, come on down, we'll pray for you. Have a wonderful week. Ugly sweater next week. All right. Feel free to, ch- to chill in the presence, whatever you like. Amen.